How's it going, Danny? I'm doing well. How you doing, Tyler? I'm doing pretty well. This is Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned, talk about horror movies again, like every week. <laughs> and this week's going to be from dusk till dawn. Thankfully, we're not recording that long. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oof. I'm already feeling like a sleepy boy, but... I know it. <laughs> uh, with that in mind, this, I'm sure, isn't going to wake me up at all. Let's get to our green hits. <laughs> Danny, what did you bring me again? I know. I... I can smell it. Yeah, so this strain is no stranger to the show. I did pick this up at local dispensary here in town, of course, Flower, one that we frequent a lot. But I did bring over the Montana Silvertip strain. For those who don't know, I'll just briefly go through it. It's a classic crossing of Granddaddy Purple and Super Silver Haze strains, right? It is 70%, 30% split on the Sativa Dominance. The THC levels at the shop come in at about 28% roughly and if you like being creative energized euphoric happy and or uplifted then this is a good strain for you I feel like most of the time I tend to bring in sativas for you just because we try to not fall asleep on the show (laughs) yeah but when I went into top shelf today the bud tender there was raving about their latest batch of dosey dose so you got some dosey dose today indica dominant hybrid so it's bred from, what is it, OGKB, which is a phenotype of Girl Scout cookies crossed with face-off. A little citrusy, a little peppery, and stony. Yeah, for Going sure. to get you stoned. I like getting stoned. <laughs> so we got that today. I'm going to light up the silver tip. And to go along with that... And our green hits before we get into everything having to do with From Dusk Till Dawn. Are we going to want to talk about Tots? Was that the purpose? Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. So we just watched... It's a little short film intro to a concert that's going to happen. So, like, there's no real story there. We talked about the first Tots a couple of years ago? Yeah, it was like, what, two years ago? Something like that. So, friend of the show, Patrick, who is our director for Jafar got tapped to do these videos for one of the local metal fests that happen in celebration of tater tots. So yeah, we got to see him work with some practical effects. That was cool. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. Something that I've been noticing a lot lately of Patrick's works is his sound design. And needless to say, he did a really fantastic job once again. Yeah, so tots, tyrannical order of the spud. This time it's about tots versus fries. Fry locks. Yeah, the fry locks. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know. There wasn't much to it. You got a little, it was kind of a West Side Story meets Anchorman gang fucking fight scene parody that was pretty good. A need for ketchup. Yeah, a need for ketchup. Eddie supplying the ketchup. Poor Jan. Poor Jan. <laughs> no, it was cool. Yeah, like, I, I, I always like seeing Patrick's shit. It's just weird because there's not much to talk about about it. Right. Other than, like, it's, it's just a promo, essentially. It's a promo leading into a concert. So if you're local, go to Tots. Yeah, check it out. Uh, down at the Dark Horse, go check out some metal bands. Like 20 bands. Yeah, I didn't see when it was, but I'm sure that wouldn't be hard to find out. Yeah, pretty soon. I do know that much. Sometime in August, I believe. Go check out that trailer online, Tots 2. Look, you put in Tots, you're just going to get a bunch of Disney shit. Right, so you know it's not that. So, like, the channel is Patrick Kirkley. Go find Tots. You'll find it. 
I have to imagine Blessed Doom's going to throw it up on their channel. Yeah, so check them out as well. And do we have anything else while we're while we're just sitting here getting stoned for a second before we get into things? I know, because we still haven't come up with an actual commercial for it. <laughs> Go check out our Patreon. Yes, please do. We're on Patreon now. Even if you don't sign up for it, we would love if you're a listener to go check it out because one of the first things we have up on there is a poll to find out what you guys want from our Patreon. Yeah, let us know. We don't know what to offer, but we want to give it to you guys. Yeah, input's always nice. And uh, to go along with that, should you decide to become a patron, even at our lowest, lowest tier, you'll at least get all these episodes a week early. You could have listened to this last week. I know. You could be in the future with us. Up at our highest tier, <laughs> you could be talking with us on Discord while admiring your sticker of our logo. Dude. We don't even have that shit. Nope. One day. Somewhere in between, you get all of our extra stuff, find out what we're thinking about all these movies that come out whenever we get a chance to go catch them in the theaters and any other extra horror watching we might end up doing and making recordings of and shit. So It's pretty awesome. We would love it, love it, love it if you all went and did that. But we're not here to just whore ourselves <laughs> because Cheech has a bunch of pussy on tap for us to go talk about. Let's get into the guts and bolts of From Dusk Till Dawn. Guts and bolts. All right, From Dusk Till Dawn. Who and what went in the making of it? Spoiler-free setup. All this section spoiler-free until we get to talking about it later. A spoiler-free setup for this movie. The marketing gave away the big twist in the middle. So I don't feel bad saying career criminals while on the run and trying to meet up with an accomplice of theirs. Go into a bar and, uh-oh, vampires. That's the bare bones of it. <laughs> Yeah, so I like that. And, of course, you've already mentioned we like to talk about the cast and crew. And this week, our director and our editor is Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, Bob And we've brought up, yeah, a lot of different times for various different reasons. But for those who don't know, I'll start off and kind of let you know that he started with El Mariachi, right, back in 92, which spawned two sequels known as the Mexico Trilogy with Desperado and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Along with those films, he's known for Sin City and Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. He also directed the Spy Kid films. You've mentioned already The Faculty. We reviewed that. That was, whew, it wasn't too long ago. No. Right, he's also known for The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl, Planet Terror, Machete, and Elite of Battle Angel. Yeah, so I mean, some really cool works there. We'd be here for quite a while if we really got into Mr. Bob Rod. Here's one that I don't think we talked about when we talked about him last time. There's a movie that he made that none of us are probably going to get to watch. 100 Years, which is going to be released in 2115. Oh, Jesus. 100 Years. I think it was done in conjunction with, like, a liquor company because it's, like, the proper amount of time to age, like, a Louis Cognac or something like oh. that. I don't fucking know. Something weird. But it's a sci-fi movie with John Malkovich that, as part of the promotion, after they filmed it, it got sealed away for 100 years. So it's not going to come out for a long fucking time. Yeah, man. Damn, I'll be 134 if I make it. Right? <laughs> it's crazy. So, you know... There's that. There's a chance, but I'm not holding my breath. 
if you're a young buck and listening to us, you might have a shot. We're probably never going to see it. Hang in there. <laughs> no, right. no, Unless the world ends and that footage leaks. Possibly. You never know. Like, if shit starts going haywire, I'm going to be looking for that, and I'm going to be looking for that Wu-Tang album. Dude, yeah. There's going to be a couple different things I'll be looking for, too. Oh, and the J-Lo sex tape. <laughs> that exists. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, I'll let you know when I'll release it. <laughs> All right, so... Two different writers on this. One gentleman we've actually talked about a couple different reasons why. And one I'm glad we're finally getting to talk about because he also acts in this. But our writers are Quentin Tarantino. He helped with the screenplay. And Robert Kurtzman helped with the story. And I'll start with Quentin. For those who don't know, <laughs> he's known for such things as Reservoir Dogs, right? True Romance, film I really, really enjoy, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, He's also known for Kill Bill, Volumes 1 and 2, for those who don't know, right? I was about to say, literally with Tarantino, you can just list off his filmography because it's just like it's not that kidding? long. It's just not really, but incredibly it's like, acclaimed. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Help with Death Proof and Glorious Bastards, Django Unchained, The Hateful Eight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, I mean, some pretty heavy films, man. And all of them are arguably really fucking good. <laughs> And I mean, do we have to explain who Quentin Tarantino is? I like, hope not, but you know, all right. for some, you know. And uh, of course, we talked about Robert Kurtzman when he directed episode 88 of the Fried Scorns. We reviewed Wishmaster. Mm. And he's also, of course, uh, part of KB Effects Group. Yeah, which is really cool. Anywho. Uh, moving forward, we have cinematographer Guillermo Navarro, gentleman we talked about way back on episode 32 with Kronos. Main reason why is because he's worked a lot with uh, Mr. Del Toro. A few other films of note. He has worked with Bob Rod on Desperado and Four Rooms for the segment The Misbehaviors. I really like that movie a lot, man. He worked on 1997 Spawn, Jackie Brown from 97 as well. The Devil's Backbone, Spy Kids, Hellboy, Zathura, Space Adventure with John Favreau, Pan's Labyrinth, Damn. A Night at the Museum, Hellboy 2, I Am wow. Number 4, yeah. I know you and I are huge fans of this, The Twilight Saga. <laughs> but no, he did work on Breaking Dawns Part 1 and 2 with Bill Condon. He worked on Pacific Rim once again with Del Toro. And more recently, uh, Doolittle from last year with Stephen Gahan which is kind of neat. And he's worked on a couple of television shows and things like that as well, but pretty big name. All right, we have music composed by Graham Revel, gentlemen we've talked about twice before. We talked about him on episode 66 when we reviewed Idle Hands for a 420 episode and oh, episode sure. 134 on The Craft, yeah. A few other things of note, just real quick. He helped on 1994 The Crow, so... If you listen to our crossover episode on General Nerdery, I was on for that. That was really cool. That's right. Okay. Yeah. He composed the music for Street Fighter back in 94. He also helped on such things as Bride of Chucky, Titan A.E., Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, Daredevil, Freddy vs. Jason, Sin City. He also helped with Below and the Riddick franchise as well. So quite a few different things there. He was also uh, the leader of the industrial electronic group, SPK, which is kind of interesting as well. So, yeah. 
Got his hands on a couple different things there. All right, this was produced by Johnny Nonari and Meyer Tepper. The production companies were Dimension Films, A Band Apart, Los Hooligans Productions, and Miramax. The distributor was Dimension Films for the 96 United States theatrical release. It was released on January 19th, 1996 here in the United States. It had a budget of $19 million, and it grossed, this is worldwide, $59.3 million. Pretty good, man. There's yeah. two taglines I got for this. One of them had me chuckling, dude. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, hit me with the taglines. All right. So the first one I have is... A terrifying evil has been unleashed, and five strangers are our only hope to stop it. Okay. Yeah, right. that's fine. And this is the one that made me giggle a little bit. I was hoping that wasn't the one that made you giggle, because... No. This is three words. Vampires. No interviews. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I was like, all right, you clever bastards. What, what year did Interview with the Vampire come out? Like, how oh, soon man. was this... Biting off of that. Not very. Uh, I want to say it was like 92 or 3. I want to say 93. Okay. Uh, I'm almost certain, but don't quote me quite yet. Okay. Small tangent. Did you hear that they're doing the interview with the Vampire series over uh, on AMC? I, I didn't. Yeah, because Walking Dead is going to come to an end. They still have all those spinoffs going, but they need something to fill in, right? Yeah. So. Interesting. I guess they're going to be doing Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. That's pretty awesome. Interview with the Vampire was actually 94. Okay. All right, so close enough. But yeah, two years removed. Not too bad. All right, so getting into the cast, we have a star-studded cast when you look at it from top to bottom, dude. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And I know we can get off in tangents with a lot of these people sometimes with the credits. So I'm going to try to do my best to keep it to a minimal with some of these, but... Sometimes you can't help it, just given the name. So starting off, we have George Clooney plays Seth Gecko, right? For those who don't know who the fuck George Clooney is. Fucking Batman. Hi. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hello. Just a few things of note. I know you're a big fan of ER. He was on that from mm-hmm. 94 through 99 as Dr. Doug Ross. He's done such things as, I don't know, he's worked with Steven Soderbergh on Out of Sight. He also was a lead in Three Kings. People probably know him on his work with the Ocean's 11, what, Ocean's 12, 13, all that shit. He's also in... Um, How many times has he been world's sexiest man? Like I don't know, man. Uh, let's see. A few things I like him in, actually, is The Man Who Stare at Goats. I really like that movie a lot. Uh, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, he's been in, uh, I don't know, Leatherheads, Syriana, The Descendants, Up in the Air, Argo. I don't know. Argo, yeah. fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's so many things you could list off, man. His works in television, movies alone, well-known figure. All right, I've already mentioned him once because he was a writer on this, but Quentin Tarantino plays his brother, Richard Gecko, And uh, once again, Tarantino. I mean, acting side, what, like Reservoir Dogs, Tsukiyaki Western Chango, Pulp Fiction. Pretty much. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like four minutes in Django. Yeah, but still, I mean, he pretty much plays himself. (laughs) All right, we have Harvey Keitel plays the role of Jacob Fuller. Another big name. If you don't know, just a few things of no, Mean Streets from 73, Taxi Driver from 76. He was in The Last Temptation of Christ from 88. Thelma and Louise in 91, Reservoir Dogs, 92. Pulp Fiction from 94. Let's see, Red Dragon from 2002. The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Irishman from 2019, 
He also played Lieutenant Gene Hunt on Life on Mars from 2008 through 9. Just a well-decorated actor. He's worked alongside some pretty big names, De Niro, Hoffman, those guys, Scorsese. <laughs> like, what do you want, man? It's crazy that he's so well-acclaimed of an actor, but realistically, like, I think most people still know him. Like, we just brought up Tarantino because he's fucking Winston Wolf. I mean, come on, dude. Like, how fucking iconic of a role. It's pretty wild, man. I really like the film Mean Streets. I highly recommend people go back and watch that if you haven't seen it. All right, we have Juliette Lewis plays the role of Kate Fuller, the daughter of Jacob Fuller. And once again, another one of those actresses. Uh, how far back do you want to go? I know we mentioned it last week because Gregory Peck is in the original and the remake, even though he plays mm. different characters. And Juliette Lewis was in Cape Fear from 1991. I remember her all the way back from What's Eating Gilbert Grape. She was also yeah. in California with a K, that is. Natural Born Killers, one of her probably iconic roles, to be quite frank, man. She was in Old School, Starsky and Hutch, Whip It, Wayward Pines, The Act, things like that. I know she's also got some credits in television as well. She also sings, so she's got her hand in music. Like I said, we could be here all day talking about her. Mm -hmm. All right. We have Ernest Liu plays the role of Scott Fuller, brother of Kate, son of Jacob. Just a few film credits for him. He was in the television series The Faculty from 96 for an episode. He was Michael Chu in the television series Relativity from 96 through 97 for two episodes. A show I actually used to watch. It was on the WB unhappily ever after hmm. he was in an episode in 98 and uh his last tv credit was the television series unscripted from 2005 guy in studio for an episode all right all right we have salma hayek plays santanico pandemonium as if we need to introduce her right how far back do you want to go wow wow west i know right <laughs> she was in desperado from 95 she was in Dogma, of course, as well. She was in Grown Ups, Puss in Boots, Grown Ups 2, Tale of Tales. I mean, I know she's lending her voice into some of these things, but Sausage Party from 2016, Like a Boss, The Hitman's Bodyguard, and The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, and shit like that. So she's got her hands in some I mean, comedies, yeah. too, which is really cool. We saw that trailer for The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. That actually looked kind of fun. I don't remember seeing trailers for the first one. I guess it was also fun. Yeah, that's like, uh, you know, I don't know anything about them, but possibly. Yeah, she's a part of the Spy Kids movies and stuff like that, too. A Cirque du Freak, which was really cool. So, like I said, she's got her hands and her voice on all kinds of really cool projects, television as well. All right, we have Cheech Marin plays a couple different roles. He plays Border Guard, Chet Pussy, and Carlos. Once again, another one of those guys, as if he needs an introduction, since we do a podcast that centers around one of our favorite subjects. I mean, yeah, Nash Bridges. He was Inspector Dominguez. Right? That's what I'm getting at. Who doesn't <laughs> like Nash Bridges? <laughs> right? Uh, he's also in some of our favorite Disney films, such as like Oliver and Company, The Lion King, The Car Series, Coco, Beverly Hills, Chihuahua. Of course, he's lending his voice in those. But um, I think of him mostly because of his work with Tommy Chong way back in the day. Part of the Cheech and Chong comedy duo from the 70s. Basketball Jones. Dude. Uh, we got a basketball Jones. I know we talked about that not too long ago. Well, thinking back on it now, it probably was but with Tommy Chong and some of his film credits and shit. Some of our favorite Cheech and Chong films. But 
I know Corsican we both. Brothers. I was like, I know we both like Corsican Brothers. That movie is highly overlooked and underrated, I think. Um, but I still like still smoking and nice dreams, up in smoke, all that shit. Next movie, any of their films are really good. Born in East LA. Born in East LA, is so fucking funny, man. Another shrimp on the Barbie, or the shrimp on the Barbie, stuff like that. He was in Ghostbusters too, which is crazy. Mm. Troop Beverly Hills, another one of those. It's like what? Desperado, which is really cool. He's a part of the Spy Kids films and things like that too. So the bartender got it the worst. <laughs> I know. Like just recently, more recently, just a few things of note. He's got an upcoming project uh, next year. It's called Shotgun Wedding, and he was in the war with Grandpa from last year. Moving forward, name we're not unfamiliar with. Danny Trejo plays the role of Razor Charlie. Yeah, Machete. Yeah, dude. A few films of note: the film Heat. Con Air, Bubble Boy, Desperado. He's also in such things as, these are some television series, Stargate Atlantis, Breaking Bad, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He was in The X-Files, lent his voice on King of the Hill. He's in The Flash, Sons of Anarchy, What We Do in the Shadows television series. He's also appeared in several music videos for Slayer, which is really neat. Oh, shit. Yeah, so like I said, uh, how far do you want to get into this guy's career, man? Because we'd be here... For quite a while, dude. Pretty recognizable face, too. Yeah, just a little bit. For the most part. <laughs> All right, moving forward, another big name, guy we've talked about several times before. We have Tom Savini, he plays the role of Sex Machine. I think of him for his works, of course, with George Romero and special effects yeah. mainly. I know we talked about him quite a bit when we reviewed, when was it, uh, Friday the 13th? It was part four. I mean, realistically, how many times have we brought him up now? Because we do a horror podcast and it's Tom Savini. Dawn of the Dead. Shit. I don't know. There's quite a few things we've mm-hmm. talked about him on. But yeah, how far do you want to get into this, man? Maniac. That was another big one we talked about him on. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, The Burning, The Prowler, some iconic films, man. Like I said, if you've seen Romero's works, you've probably seen his works. He's also done things like Django Unchained, Machete Kills, Tells from the Dark Side, which is really cool, which is actually a television show, which I'm a real big fan of. But yeah, check him out if you don't know. Well, and even on like his like the special effects side, you have like Texas Chainsaw 2 that we've covered. Something else that I just saw, but whatever. <laughs> no, this is... A lot of fucking films, man. Iconic. All right, we have Fred Williamson who plays the role of Frost. Another big name. This guy was an American football defensive back back in the 60s. So some people who are around might know him from them. But he starred as Tommy Gibbs in the 73 crime drama Black Caesar and its sequel up in Harlem. He's also done such things as the exploitation films Hammer from 72, That Man Bolt, and three the hard way. I don't know how far do you want to get in this guy's life too, because he's got a list of shit. Let's see. I'm trying to look at some things maybe a little bit more recently. Oh, he's in the film VFW. Oh shit! From yeah. 2019. Yeah, I was kind of curious about that. I actually own it. Just haven't watched it. Heard some good things. Delta Force Commando from '88. That's kind of cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, Night Rider. Just I'm just looking through a few things. Oh, he's in Starsky and Hutch from 2004. That's kind of cool. So yeah, another big name. All right, we have Michael Parks, a guy we're not unfamiliar with, plays Texas Ranger Earl McGraw. We talked about him way back when. We actually had a guest on for this. We did a double feature when we reviewed Red State and Tusk with Jesse of Smoke and the Breeze way back when. That's right. 
I don't know. How far back do you want to go with uh, Michael Parks? Because once again, we could be here quite a while. We could be, but honestly, all we need to really mention is Red State because it's one of the finest acting performances ever put on a fucking film. Pretty wild, isn't it? I think I, he did a great I job. I stand by that. His performance in that movie blows me away every single fucking dude. time, dude. Yeah, uh, just a few things of note, just a few other things maybe, possibly. Kill Bill's Volume 1 and 2. Yep. Right? He's in Grindhouse, the segment Planet Terror and Death Proof. He's also in Smoke and Aces Part 2, Django Unchained. He's also in Argo. Tons of television roles. I know he worked in Westerns. He, oh, yeah. Man, I talked about this be, way back when, too. He also played Jean Renault in Twin Peaks from 1990 through 1991 for five episodes. Mm. Yeah, he played like this brother of this French-Canadian guy who ran a club. Let's put it that way. So... I do want to point out that in Grindhouse and Kill Bill Volume 1, he also plays Sheriff Earl McGraw. I saw that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And he's in this movie as well as playing a different character <laughs> in the direct-to-video from Dusk Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter. That's crazy, dude. <laughs> which I believe is a prequel that tells the story of Santanico Pandemonium. That's pretty awesome. I didn't know that. I don't know. Those direct-to-video sequels were supposed to be bad. I mean, dude. I believe it. I've got... It's like a... Like, th- no one is involved, I think, Ooh. from, like, the original production. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, man. All right, here's another name, man. I know we brought it up more recently, and, uh, like, we need to talk about his film credits anymore, but we've got John Saxon, right? Guy we've talked about, man, at this point, a bunch of times, man. <laughs> He plays the role of just like this FBI agent. He's on the screen just barely, mm, mm. just a few moments. Oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't know he was in this. And when I saw him, I almost shat myself. I know. I was like, oh, shit. There he is. Right. Yeah. He plays FBI agent Stanley Chase. But man, John Saxon, we talked about him more recently when we talked about him on A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. And then a few other episodes, we talked about him on episode 17. A Nightmare on Elm Street. We also talked about him on episode 99 for Black Christmas. So because we talked about him more recently, I think about him sometimes from some of the Bruce Lee films. Mm. You know, shit like that. And I know he's in a ton of horror films. Go ahead and tell you that right now. <laughs> he's just, like I said, familiar face. I was like, oh shit, we're talking about it again. Little side note. I'm kind of looking at this other one that Michael Parks was also in, the From Dust Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter. I kind of want to watch this. That's kind of neat. I'm not going to lie. Like, this cast is pretty fucking dope. Nice. Michael man. Parks, Rebecca Gayhart. Oh, I did see the cast and crew. Orlando yeah, yeah, yeah. Jones. Fucking Tamura Morrison. Fucking Boba Fett's in it, dude. That's pretty awesome. Anyway. All right, we have Mark Lawrence. Plays the old-timer motel owner. Like, so one of those guys is in it just briefly, but... When you look at some of his roles, like from way back when, we can go back to two James Bond films. That is 1971's Diamonds Are Forever and 1974's The Man with the Golden Gun. He also portrayed a henchman opposite Lawrence Olivier in Marathon Man from 1976, and he was also in Hot Stuff from 1979. That was alongside Jerry Reed and Dom DeLuise. He was Mr. Zemo in Star Trek Deep Space Nine for the episode Bada Bing, Bada Bang, right? He was also Gatherer of Volnoth in 1989 Star Trek The Next Generation episode The Vengeance Factor. He said his final film role was in Looney Tunes Back in Action 2003. 
as an Acme Corporation vice president. He also directed Nightmare in the Sun and the 1973 film Pigs. He's got an interesting little backstory, too, if you're curious about some of the House on Un-American Activities Community. Oh. Yeah. Oh, shit. Because of, like, communism and stuff like that. So he was blacklisted and departed for Europe because of that. Yeah, so he's got a little interesting backstory there, too, for those who are curious. All right, a name I was not expecting to be in this film. One of those from way back when. I'm like, whew, good on you, Mr. Travolta. But unfortunately <laughs> passed away not too long ago, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of sad. I mean, it is sad. But Kelly Preston, she plays newscaster Kelly Hogue. I was like, okay. But for those who don't know, you can go back for you know such films, including Mischief from 85, Twins from 1988, Jerry Maguire from 96, For the Love of the Game back in 1991. Let's see, Space Camp from 86, The Cat in the Hat, What a Girl Wants, Sky High, Old Dogs, things like that. Like She's been in some really cool films, man. Honestly, I forgot she had died. That's still pretty recent. <laughs> yeah, it is a bummer, but... You know, what can you do, man? But, yeah, like I said, it was kind of cool seeing her in this. I was like, okay, totally forgot she was even in this. All right, we have John Hawks plays the role of Pete Bottoms. He's like the liquor store owner at the beginning of the film. Uh, really cool name. One thing I'm going to bring up here in a little bit, it's really cool because we brought this up, coincidentally enough, on A Nightmare on Elm Street with one of the actors. But John Hawks, he's been in such things as Winter's Bone from 2010 and The Sessions from 2012. Some people might know him from The Perfect Storm. He was also in Me and You and Everyone We Know, American Gangster, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene from uh, 2011, Linking, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Now, I know him because of his roles from Eastbound and Down from 2009 through 13, where he played the role of Kenny Powers. I think it was mm. his brother. Mm, okay. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> it's okay. funny. But the reason we brought him up, he was in the band with this guy named Eastman. I think he played the role of Jay in A Nightmare on Up Street. It was like the dude who was voiceless for the majority of the film. Hmm. But they okay. were they played in a band together in L.A. And they played like the Viper Room and some other things. I, was, I can't remember the name of the band. If I can find it, I'll look it up and mention it. Not that it's super important, but I was like, oh, yeah, we, we talked about this dude, coincidentally enough, because of that. Right. All right. And last but not least, we have Tito and Tarantula. They are the Titty Twister house band. Dude, I love some Tito and Tarantula. I was familiar with them just from being a Bob Rod fan before. And so, yeah, like actually just like a month or like two months ago at work, I, like, I closed down listening to some Tito and Tarantula. It's pretty cool, man. Putting it's it on in the back for everyone to listen to. Yeah. From what I understand, it's just they're an American Chicano rock blues band, right? Formed in Hollywood, California, 92 by singer, songwriter, guitarist Tito LaRiva. Yeah. It's pretty awesome, man get to see them as the house band so i mean that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew right you gave us a brief setup with the film entails we should give you some warnings heading to the next section warnings it's written by quentin tarantino there's a lot of cussing there's some titties there's blood and gore and blood stuff like that too. and violence and explosions people being lit on fire yeah, there's some implied sexual things. Yeah, never so seen all anything, of that, but yeah. So all of that, like I don't, I don't know if I can. Yeah, we've already alluded to the fact that there's vampires, and you should know what that entails. That's all I got. Yeah, likewise, without spoiling too much. I think we should just talk about from dusk till dawn. How about we talk 
Not from dust. I was about to say from dust till dawn. Let's not talk from dust till dawn, <laughs> but let's talk about it. <laughs> How does that make you squeal? I've liked this movie for a long time, but it's probably been a good decade since I watched it at this point. Dude, what the fuck is this movie? Yeah, it's a mix of different things. <laughs> like, it was kind of like the perfect zone re-watching this, where it was just long enough where, like, details were fuzzy. Yeah, there was quite a few things I'd totally forgotten about. Like, I still remember the opening scene. Oh, you know what? Let's back it up for a second. Danny... We watched From Dust Till Dawn. What's your history with the movie? I'm going to assume you had seen right. it before so at this, some point, too. This came out in 96. I don't think I watched it until sometime in the late 90s. I do remember watching it back in high school. I do remember that much. And then there was a few years after I watched it quite a few times because there was a few friends of mine that were really big into it. So from late 90s, early 2000s, I watched it quite a few more times than I have more recently. Mm. And probably same thing. I haven't watched it all the way through in more than a decade at this point, you know, prior to this weekend. So, yeah, I'm familiar with the film. Just it's been a while. Yeah, I probably saw this almost right when it first dropped on video. I was about nine or ten and me and Angus rented it one night from, you know, the local grocery store, which is where you would rent videos because it was Dude, a small I'm guilty time. of doing that. Yeah. And however, that first time I watched it, confession all these years later, I definitely fell asleep during part of it and just claimed to have watched the entire thing for years and years. <laughs> I did eventually, you know, watch it in high school and then again in college. But there was years where I claimed to watch this movie. I fell asleep during it and I caught maybe like 10 minutes of it total. Gotcha. But no one was going to fact check you on that back then. Well, and especially because the parts that I remembered, I was asleep during the Santanico pandemonium bit, but I kind of knew it happened because, like, I was kind of groggy and, like, waking up a little bit because I remember, like, the big, like, everybody turns to vampires bit. And then I kind of fell asleep again for a bit, so I missed, like, a little bit of the talking and, like, the slowed down action in between yeah. and woke back up again when they got the fucking jackhammer steak going. And I also had caught the very beginning of this movie. The beginning of this movie was part of the only bit I remembered, except for there was one twist to it I didn't remember, and we can get into that in a minute. Yeah, but yeah, like, for sure. But that night, me and Angus either rented Vampire in Brooklyn in this or Desperado in this. Nice. And this was the second one of whatever we watched, so it was getting later into the night, and I was a fucking wuss and fell asleep. But it was for sure one of those other ones, and... I mean, if it was Desperado, then that was, like, full-on the night that, like, I started loving Robert Rodriguez because Desperado is, like, the first rated R movie I ever watched, and I fucking loved Ooh. everything about it from that. Yeah. Well, probably not the first one I watched, but the first one I went into it knowing that, like, I was watching a rated R movie and I was watching it from, like, <laughs> beginning to end and not nice. just, like, walking into a room and happening to catch, you know, Ooh, like... what's on? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. It's like, no, the, the whole intent and purpose is to watch it all the way through mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome that might have been that same night to be completely honest i don't know yeah it's like for sure i'm trying to think as far as some of the people in this film it might have been my formal introduction to a couple of people now that i think about it maybe in retrospect like i didn't know who you know john hawks i don't even think i knew who michael parks was back then yeah i wouldn't have known who michael parks like yeah so 
it would have still been years later till I would have re-put it back together that that was Michael Parks. Yeah, you know what like, I mean? Maybe, man, damn, maybe even like George Clooney formally because I never did watch ER back then. I knew mm. of it, but I wasn't, I didn't watch it. I saw this before I started watching ER. I wasn't like a week-to-week watcher on ER. I got into yeah. it later in high school when I was watching, you know, syndicated reruns. Yeah, I know in high school I was watching, you know, like Buffy and mm-hmm. things of that nature. So, <laughs> yeah, my sights were on different things. <laughs> But yeah, this was definitely in the uh, the stratosphere for me back in high school. Like '96 was my freshman year. You know, this was like the summer of going into my high school year, freshman year. So it was on the radar for high school kids. I tell you that mm. much. Even I remember the marketing for ruining the vampire bit, though. Yeah, because it's kind of played as a twist in the movie. It really is. But it's not a not for marketing sake. It's not no. Like, I went into it knowing that it was the vampire. Like, I watched it because it was a vampire movie. I didn't know shit about Tarantino when I was nine. Right. I didn't know fucking Bob Rod had just made his name as, you know, the fucking one-man film crew on El Mariachi. I was going to say, I had seen Pulp Fiction. I didn't see Jackie Brown at this point, but I was familiar with what Jackie Brown was. And even True Romance and stuff, but I don't even think I knew who the fuck Quentin Tarantino was quite yet. Like, you know, like who he was. I was familiar with his works, just didn't know him. Yeah, like, I watched this because it was a vampire movie. Which also might be why I fell asleep as a kid, because I watched it because it was a vampire movie, and vampires don't show up until, like, halfway fucking through. It takes a little while, man, yeah. It's like 40-something odd minutes before it really kicks off, you know, with that bit of the film. Yeah, it's kicked off in some other ways, but, like, not, right, but no, not, not in what it not ultimately Not in vampiric ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's more of a, and I've seen it, surmise like this is like maybe the first half of the film was more like a quentin tarantino film and the back half was more like a rob rod film mm-hmm. yeah and like it feels quite a bit that way to me man even up until like a week ago i don't think i could have pulled out my ass that tarantino had actually written it i knew he was in it i knew I bob rod directed it, it i don't think i ever stored it away in my head that he wrote the bitch i know that's pretty wild and immediately when I started watching it, I was like, oh, man, this dialogue sounds familiar. What? Oh. Oh. Okay, gotcha. It makes total sense in a couple of different manners. Main reason being is I watched like a little documentary they have of this, and they talked about how they became friends and I've still all never stuff. Uh, Full Tilt Bogey? Yeah. I've still never watched Full Tilt. It's pretty decent, man. Yeah. There's some good bits, outtakes, some documentaries, what have you. But Robert and Quentin both talked about, you know, they became friends because of their love for cinema, Mm -hmm. some cinema that a lot of people weren't aware of. But at the time, Rob was like reading all of Quentin's screenplays and he liked From Dust Till Dawn. So he's like, yeah, I would direct this tomorrow if I could. And that's pretty much how it started up. Yeah. And then they got Robert Kurtzman on board and all these other people. So that's awesome. Yeah. So it makes total sense. They're both into each other's works. This week when I was like, oh, man, we're doing From Dusk Till Dawn. Maybe I should finally watch Full Tilt Boogie. And then I was like, you know what? It's been all this time and I haven't watched it. I'm going to say what I have to say about this movie first, and then I'll go watch it. So that I'm yeah, not I've going in. I've watched a little. I didn't watch all of it, but I've yeah. watched a couple of different segments in it. It's really. I'm cool. like, I might as well just get out what I'm going to say about this first. Yeah. And then I'll go learn all that shit. No, but, it's, I won't spoil too much. There's a few things I've got, but it's nothing like... I don't think that's well, not. I don't really movie. worry about a spoiler for a fucking doc. I just didn't yeah. want to make sure I was fucking because otherwise I'd just be like, oh, and then 
oh, and then, and then they said this, and then they said that. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> All right, into the movie itself. First off, this intro is fucking phenomenal. I like it. It's a little comedic, too. I'd completely forgot the twist that they were already there. That was so fucking good, dude. Because you're not even thinking about that. I mean, this intro is maybe some of Tarantino's writing at its snappiest. Once Michael Park shows up, maybe not its most PC. Oh, well, there's quite a few of that in this film. It's not an excuse, but those were the times. Yeah. I was like, ooh, buddy, really? (laughs) It's the way people talked. Alex, I'm not excusing it. It's just what it was, man. I know. Yeah. I'd mostly forgotten. Like, well... Once again, think about who wrote this script and some of the dialogue in his films. Look, yo, yeah, once <laughs> once I realized who wrote this, like, as not cool as some of what Michael Parks was saying in that beginning speech, which is still a beautifully delivered little back and forth, no matter what terms they're using. It's fucking snappy and... It is good. On top of things and lets you... Feels natural. Feels natural in the weird early 90s indie film way. Because this is Tarantino's dialogue. This is Kevin Smith's dialogue. Yeah, dude. You know what I mean? It's like something that you would hear in a convenience store say to somebody you shoot the shit with, you know? But it's kind of right on the edge of being hyper real. Mm. You know what I mean? It's almost just a touch too quick... But not quite. Like you could, yeah. it's still natural, but I know almost not. It's not quite to the Gilmore Girls level. I don't know if you've ever watched any Gilmore Girls. No, not familiar with Gil because they're like boom, 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 <sighs> rapid fire. Yeah, not natural. No, it's not, and that's a whole different story. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm familiar. I'm familiar. But it's it's starting to get turned up that way. Yeah. But I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I fell in love with it back then. I still love it now. Where was I going with that? Oh, realizing who wrote this, though? Like, yo, some of these characters could have been saying the N-word like every other word, and it wouldn't have been out of place for them in this time period. And that did not happen. So, cool? Yeah, that's definitely a bonus in my book, you know, if we're going to chalk that up. Yeah, okay. So while we're speaking about the fact that Tarantino wrote this, how fucking awkward is it that he wrote himself like the most get his own rocks off scene in this movie? Of course, dude. At <laughs> first I thought it was Bob Rod just throwing his buddy a bone, you know what I mean? And then I realized who wrote it. Like I said, going back to this, man, there was a few moments I'm like, wow, this is not only 90s, but this is somebody living out some of their fantasies on screen. Like, whoa. I love Tarantino, but I understand there are problems to be had with him. And if you're a person that does not like Tarantino, (laughs) I think a lot of those flaws are on display with who he chose to give himself as a character in this movie. Wow, no kidding. Like, some major red flags. Because let's be real, he's even kind of said that maybe he should have said something, like maybe he knew enough to say something about Weinstein earlier than stuff started coming out. Dude, I don't find it a coincidence that there's some of these characters written specific ways. Yeah. Un- Which know. sucks. But, like, I still love the dude's movies. No, I likewise. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, Miramax ruined it for everybody. <laughs> Man, actually, one of my first notes, my first note actually is a Michael Parks line, he says. There's actually a couple different lines. 
It's where he and uh, Pete are talking about burritos, like microwave food and shit. <laughs> oh, shit. And he tells them. <laughs> <laughs> I have it written down. I was like, this is too good. He says, uh, Jesus H. Christ, Pete. He says, when are you going to learn that microwave food will kill you faster than a bullet? He says, I mean, them damn burritos ain't good for nothing but a hippie when he's high on weed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. He's talking about me and Tyler. <laughs> oh, he said that while I was watching it last night, and I'm just like, yo, I could, hit, I could go down to the fucking gas station and get some burritos right now. I'm like, hey, man, don't knock a burrito. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a microwave burrito, but don't knock a good burrito. That's the thing, man. If I'm at a gas station getting gas station food, yeah. I'm not getting a burrito usually because, like, I can buy fucking frozen burritos and eat them at home. Yeah. All day long. There ain't <laughs> nothing like those shitty fucking give you Man. food poisoning 90% of the time hot dogs from gas stations. <laughs> yeah, I was like, don't do it. Just don't do it. There's no telling how I long I shouldn't been. do it, but God damn it, I'll... If I'm hungry and in that one of those some bitches. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it happens, man. We've all been guilty of that. But sometimes you gotta just like, not today, Satan. <laughs> that and like... <laughs> I don't know. I think my gut biome evolved to like handle that shit a little bit better because my mom worked at a fucking yeah, you convenience up. store for a bit. So <laughs> like, up some immunities. <laughs> well, one of one of the bonuses to her job when she worked at the fucking gas station in town was like any of the hot pockets or hot dogs that were left over at the end of the night. She got to bring home for right. free. Hell yeah! So I ate a lot of fucking like gas station hot dog <laughs> and fucking hot pockets hot that. Dog. That were only brought home because they sat there for like five hours at the end of the night. Well, you know, someone's got to eat them. Waste not, want not, right? Fucking okay. delicious. <laughs> Same, man. We have Fuck to make you, do. Michael Parks. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's not him, it's his character. <laughs> but that was something, I did not remember how this film kicked off, man. Not like that. You know, I totally like, forgot. Like, I knew that there was a shootout. I knew that they offed Parks pretty quick. I did not remember at all that, like, they were already there. That's what I'm Dude at. is fucking acting from the get-go. Oh. I forgot that, like, it shows how fucking unstable Richie is from the get-go. Like I said, some of it is some dark comedy. He, he's basically telling him, he's like, he was, uh, he was telling, he was showing him signs, he was throwing up signs to him. He's like, telling me he's a liar? He's like, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing shit. I, I was like, the back and forth is good. It does feel like a Tarantino film, you know, with the dialogue, all that back and forth. Parks comes back out. Everybody takes their places. And then, yeah, Quentin Tarantino's character flies off the handle. He's like, no, I heard him out. <laughs> I didn't say shit. I was like, that was pretty gnarly. I totally forgot that. And I admit, honestly, I didn't even catch this the first time through. For some reason, I thought they got killed in the crossfire. But the girls get away. Yeah, they just ran at the fucking. And I was like, and at the end of that, I'm like, you know what? Good for you. You don't get. You don't deserve to fucking get killed because of Richie's goddamn stupidity. Fucking idiot. Well, and if you're listening to all the things that fucking Clooney says, it sounds like it's been Richie's stupidity the entire goddamn time. Oh, without most of those cops wouldn't have got killed. They wouldn't have took the fucking hostage in the first place. Yeah, he's just flying off the handle, man. We learned some things about him as the film progresses, right? We're just kind of dropped in the middle of the scenario. But because of what he did, he winds up shooting Pete, but he doesn't kill Pete. And Pete winds up getting his pistol out, starts shooting back. And that's where it leads to the actually pretty decent little scene. 
dude, how how wild is it that the scene starts where it does and ends with a dude fucking <laughs> on fire getting knocked into some fucking popcorn. Popcorn. <laughs> that to me was like, if it's not bad enough that you got lit up like that behind a damn bar. I mean, it's not even a bar. It's just like your convenience store with a liquor section, beer or whatever. <laughs> right? And then he jumped up off him and started shooting back. <laughs> yeah, landed in popcorn. <laughs> Holy shit. It's pretty good. Explosions right off the bat. Mm-hmm. As well, so not bad. We find out that they took a was it like a bank teller hostage as well. She's in the fucking trunk of the car. It leads them going to a a motel. So did the motel bits weirdly remind you of Devil's Rejects a bit? A little bit. Not gonna lie, it had another one of those feels because we know these guys grew up in a certain time period where films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Hills Have Eyes and films of mm-hmm. that nature would have influenced these guys growing up. And it had a little bit of that feel. Yeah, I was sitting there, I was like, this isn't nearly as extreme, but like, Richie's kind sprinkling. of baby in this scenario and Clooney is kind of Otis sitting there calm and collected. Like, yeah, man, there's some sinister shit going on. But it has especially when flavor. fucking Clooney gets back. I, don't know. I know, dude. It's pretty gnarly. Yes, it was it intermixed with like them going to the motel. Well, there's the introduction to to Harvey Keitel and Juliette Lewis and Scott Fuller. <laughs> so we've watched a lot of movies where they make you care about the characters by having you spend a, a good bit of, bit of time yeah. with them. Shit, what was the Australian one where we sat there with them for like 20 minutes just like going oh, on a fucking... Wolf scene. Creek. Yeah, Wolf Creek. It was like a fucking tourism fucking video. It kind of was. Like, for like 30 minutes while we get to know these characters, right? <laughs> yeah. You're like, I don't remember any of this. If you're only going to take five minutes to get to know some characters and make your audience care at least a little bit about them, oh, yeah. this is a fucking master class. Yeah, because it's already pulling you in. It's almost all exposition. That's pretty much what it is. And it's, you know just enough. That's all you need. But the dialogue all sounds natural. I agree. They're not sitting there like, remember this just for the sake of the audience. They're yeah. having a, a, natural, con- conversation. a natural conversation yeah. that just happens to include their history for the past year and who they are and yeah. what they're up to and what all their emotional And, and then once is. again, because you're dropped into a scenario, you're not like leading off with these people. It's just like, oh, who are, the, who are these people? Even because if you don't familiar. necessarily care about them, right. you know enough about them to understand what their emotional state is, what they're trying to do, where they're trying to go. Exactly. And that's, like you said, a master class in such a short amount of time and not very much dialogue, really. No. No, not at all. Because... There's a lot of fucking info dumped in that little bit. There is, man. What do you think about this? Is maybe for me, like in retrospect, was like some early signs of Quentin Tarantino and his feet stuff was uh, when they had the teller that got her out of the trunk. And, you know, they were laying the ground rolls for her. And that's when. Well, you have the trunk shot first. That's a cool shot. Actually, it starts in the back seat. Mm. I like that that angle. And then they get out. Mm hmm. You know, they get her out. It's like, don't make a noise. <laughs> it's Tarantino. Cool you have to have the trunk shot. Oh, yeah. And it's that, not Tarantino, but it is Tarantino. And full tilt boogie. Rob talks about that. He's like, 
every chance that Quentin could, he would like, uh, you know, if I were to do, <laughs> he talked about like, you know, a lot of people talked like that. But yeah, he's like, yeah, a lot of this was some of his. He says, but there are certain things I had to do, so it wouldn't be like Tarantino could say, "Look, this is my film," right? <laughs> you know, and so, I yeah. do think it moves away cool, from though. that a bit. It but. does, it does. But you can feel it in this part of the film, without a doubt, man. Mm-hmm. Mm. What I wanted to get with Tarantino, right, is after George Clooney, his character leaves. I guess you know, he comes back with burgers and shit. But Tarantino gets on the bed, and he's like, you know. Did you notice the burger? Oh, yeah, Kahuna Burgers. The Kahuna Burgers? Yeah, yeah. There's quite a several references to, like, some other films. There's the Chango Beer. I saw that. Which, that's Bob Rod's side, though. So, like, this is one of the films that implies that their universe is unshared. No, you're right, there's some Tarantino and that. Yeah, you're right. It's like, let's get ready to ramble, ramblers, or something like that. Yeah, hey, hey, ramblers, let's get rambling, or It was, like, Reservoir Dogs. There's uh, Pulp Fiction references we already talked about with the big Kahuna Burgers. Yeah. I was looking to see if there was any um, yeah, apple it, cigarettes, but I didn't see any. Not apple cigarettes, but I mentioned apple pie, yeah. <laughs> which is different. But yeah, that's kind of like some of the early stuff. But she takes off her shoes and hops up on the bed with him. Oh, yeah. Like, that's early stuff. That's just early stuff. But it gets a lot more blatant in a little bit. It's like, wow. Okay. Anyway. Harvey Keitel mentions he wants to sleep in a real bed because, which you already mentioned, they've been traveling for a while, whatever. Just wants to sleep in a real bed for one night at least. They just so happen to be at the same motel. Right. They almost run into George Clooney out in the parking lot. He gives them that sinister like, little stare down. It seems like they're hunkered down. And then Tarantino makes up a story about getting some ice. And then, then you know, they make their way in because the, the RV is... They're way into Mexico because that's where they're headed, right? Mm-hmm. And that kind of kicks off some things. A, it kicks off something actually interesting. A lot of people should know this by now, but the kid wearing the Precinct 13 shirt. That was cool. You know, that was John cool. Carpenter nod. We've already mentioned some of that shit. There's one I didn't catch. I mean, I heard it, but I didn't catch it. it was Gidget. He calls her Gidget. Mm. And I'm like, ah, oh, I should have looked it up because I did drop in all kinds of references. But anyway, the whole point in that whole scene, too, is... Basically, they need the RV, and they're going to take them with them across the border, you know, to get into Mexico, which this is where it kind of starts to take a little bit of that edge. It's starting to shift a little bit, even though it's still in Tarantino's realm. It's starting to get a little bit more Bob Rod. Yeah, it's, like, it's starting to transition Which now. makes sense as you get into Mexico. Yeah, which is really cool, man. But, dude, when they're in the motel, and they're kind of laying the groundwork, specifically George Clooney— Right, he's telling the rules and shit. And then <laughs> goddamn Quentin Tarantino's delusion of what Juliet Lewis says. Oh my god. Should you eat my pussy for me, please? <laughs> he's like, <laughs> like, what the fuck? I do not remember that in this film, but I do now. <laughs> like, what is going on, man? Right. Yeah, it's like uh anyhow, foot fetish alert is the next thing I wrote because as they're driving and shit too. That kicks off his little foot fetish. Mm. He starts seeing her feet and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, too much, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> it was already established, too, because of some of those news reports that he was a sex offender. That's right. <laughs> like That little breakdown, with the news breakdown was cool, too. It was. You got the John Saxon. 
but you also got like, oh, we already knew they were criminals, but here's just that little bit of extra There's even a ticker, like mm-hmm. how many rangers have been killed, how many cops and civilians. Hilarious. Dude, Total I is lost up to 16. the fucking ticker. It's pretty, it was funny. It was like, that was unnecessary, but it was funny. <laughs> Especially because it was all like broke down and just like. Yeah, like oh that's so silly. God. But it does feel very like Grindhouse, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of feel. But I like all that. They get to the border and I kind of remembered some of this. Some of these scenes kind of like, you know, will jar your memory a little bit. Before they're actually quite to the border, that little bit with George Clooney and Harvey Keitel, mm-hmm. like. Fucking Seth tries real hard to love his brother, but after what he saw at the fucking hotel, oh, yeah, like we need to talk about that. Jesus, like whew. when fucking George Clooney agrees, like when Harvey's like, if he touches her, I'm gonna kill him, and he's like, yeah, okay, yeah, if you lie, it. I'm killing you all. Like he's at that point actually ready to let fucking Richie die, right? Like yeah. that's how I read that. Like he's like. If he fucks up, like, I can't do this anymore. my brother's keeper and shit like that, too. I mean, it kind of gets into that realm mm-hmm. <laughs> somewhat, you know. It's like, how far do you take this shit before you're like, dude, you got to be responsible for your own actions to a certain point, you know. I can't be responsible for you. This ain't what I do. <laughs> well, and he, like, he went pretty hard at him at yeah. the hotel about it. Yeah, but Maybe not as hard as he should for right. what it is, but, like, but he did. he's under no his illusions. Way. He's a career criminal. He's also killed people. Right, but, you know, he, in his way, he spells it out. I was like, you know, we don't rape people. Mm-hmm. I kill when I have to, when it's absolutely necessary. He's like, the ticker keeps count because of you, bro. Right. <laughs> you know, but he does tell him. He lays the ground. Well, and like, it's an interesting thought, too, because he's like, is this what you think I am? Yeah, that's a good point, too. Because this isn't me, it. Don't mix me up in that state of affairs. Mm-hmm. But... He does tell him, he's like, once we get across the border into Mexico, none of this was going to matter anyway. So there's that. There's a little bit of hope there, too. You know, it's like, we can just clean this, not even worry about this shit anymore. We just need to get across the border. But yeah, that was a fucked up scene, because she's all naked, fucked up on the bed, like this motherfucker. <laughs> we should I, know I, by almost, I almost wish you didn't get to see any except for the flashes, because the flashes made it seem even more graphic. I prefer that, honestly. That's a little bit more... I think and I psychological. Think, and I think if you're not paying attention to the background, I think a lot of people probably miss that you do get to see most of that scene if you look past him in the doorway for like two seconds. Yeah, but it's not always the focus. But like, I was curious what they were going to show after showing those flashes. And when they showed as much <laughs> as they did, I was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, okay, it's still fucked up. But like, the flashes were a lot more effective because it made it seem like he went fucking like, oh, no. super ham. It seemed yeah. like he went, like, yeah. found. Even if they would just stop them in the door frame looking, you mm-hmm. know, without us seeing, that still would have been effective because Clooney's expression would, like, gave you everything you needed to know. Like, this is fucked up. I need to close the door. <laughs> Not that, like I said, it's easy to miss anyway that yeah. they threw in that little bit to where you can see past her or past them to her. But, but no, I mean, it's, it's still cool. I understand. But, you know, that's our own little preference, our own little critique. Um, let's see, getting into the border, crossing the border, Cheech Marin, that little fumble they had. Uh, Cheech, like, fucking crazy star wow. of the film. Yeah, low-key star of the film, right? Yeah, right? Because all three of his characters are completely different. They are, and 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because they're yeah they're his all his border patrol agent is maybe the whitest I've ever heard him sound. <laughs> Granted, yeah, yeah, pervy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that whole scene was pretty good too with Clooney and Tarantino and Juliette Lewis in the bathroom pulling it off. Once again, Richie almost fucks them all. Yeah. Oh, he drops some non-PC stuff while he's at it. But, you know, Clooney had to do what he had to do. Shut oh. him up. And it paid off later on because he totally forgot what he was saying. <laughs> you know, he's like, what happened? <laughs> fucked up. How you fell down, bumped your head, bud. Yeah, you had me scared, buddy. Yeah. I mean, your glasses are fucked, but, you know, we'll get you some new ones. No big deal. We made it. We're Mexicans. <laughs> oh, you know, his line when Juliet Lewis asks him, she's like, what's in Mexico? Mexicans. <laughs> You're not so, so that thing we were talking about earlier, you know, that thing. <laughs> I'd be glad to do it. I'd be more than happy. That was such an awkward fucking scene, dude. It's yeah. funny, but. It is. I'm like, wow. Because, you know, first he's admiring her feet. Then he's it's like, oh, were you serious about what you said back there? Because I'll do it. Like, this motherfucker, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, he's on some all kinds of different shit. Once they cross the border and they make it and all that good stuff, right? <laughs> Who is it? Uh, George Clooney's telling Harvey Keitel, like, you know, you need to go to the Gallo, take that big old left, keep on going till you see the titty twister. He's like, well, what's there? <laughs> That's just where we're stopping. <laughs> you know? Then we get the infamous. If you have ever seen this movie... If, if there's anything you're going to remember about this film, aside from some other scenes, this is probably one of the first ones that really stands out. Because Cheech was low-key last scene. He's high-key all like, over this fucking in scene. fucking hot. <laughs> Spitting hot fire. Do you have it all written down? I've got it right in front of me. Do you have? Yes. I didn't write it down because I saw that you can look at some quotes on the mm. database. It's like, boom, perfect, right? So, I mean, I'll do it. Yeah, I, what kind of pussy do they got? He says, "All right, pussy, pussy, pussy." <laughs> he says, "Come on in, pussy lovers. Uh, here are the titty twister. We're slashing pussy in half. Give us an offer on our vast selection of pussy. This is a pussy blowout. All right, we got white pussy, black pussy, Spanish pussy, yellow pussy. We got hot pussy, cold pussy. We got wet pussy. We got smelly pussy. <laughs> we got hairy pussy, bloody pussy. We got snapping pussy. <laughs> we got silk pussy, velvet pussy, naga, naga high pussy. Yeah. We even got horse pussy, dog pussy, chicken, chicken pussy. pussy. Come on. You want pussy? Come on in, pussy lovers. If, you, if we don't got it, you don't want it. Come on in, pussy lovers. Right? And then he says something like, if you can find it any cheaper, fuck it. <laughs> like, yes, man. This is so iconic. So, Oh, yeah, because that's after there's a small cut back to them for a bit when it comes back. It's right. the, and they the got penny that, pussy sale. There was a little commentary. I like those low angle shots because you get a different you know view of the person. Mm -hmm. But Rob Rod was known for getting on like little tracking dollies and getting those shots because he wanted to learn how to use the camera. He was... Working with steady cams and over the shoulder kind of stuff. So he was in the trenches, man. So, I mean, that bit alone is where you can really start to go, wait, what the fuck is this movie? I know, like, hold on. This went from like some murderers getting across the border with his family and now was he? <laughs> and it's not actually similar to anything in 
the movie I'm about to bring up. But for some reason, the crazy level to me, once you get there with fucking Cheech's character oh, yeah. and just how <laughs> overblown the entire fucking bar is, I was like, this is like Bob Rod's biker bar set in like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Yeah, not a bad comparison. You know what I mean? Like, with how weird that last third of that movie gets. Dude, it's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, the set? Mm-hmm. Bonkers. Fuck, it's so good. And you also get, oh, they get inside, and there's Danny Trejo. Yeah, I mean, Well, they beat their way in, because They Cheech beat the shit dick. out of Cheech. And even Tarantino is like, his little lines are like, damn, fucking unnecessary, but I'm glad he said them. Um, <laughs> yeah, they get inside. There's already some telltale signs if you pay attention to the walls okay yeah because it looks like there's some there's some drawings of what looks like could be vampiric shit going on oh shit you know what the only thing i noticed on the wall was the big uh sign for the chango beer right i mean that (laughs) makes sense but yeah as soon as they walk in just on the stone you can see where Oh. Yeah, like, like some vampiric shit drawn down, like some vampires okay. doing some things on the walls. I'm like, you know, but George Clooney comes in, he's like, this is my kind of place. You know, I don't blame him. I mean, there's tits and ass everywhere and, you know, drinks and rowdy and rowdy, good, good band going on. Yeah, it's like, all right, all right, with, with this Mexico. All right, yeah. all right. Hang out here from dusk till dawn, I suppose. I guess. Yeah, I don't know if I want. I don't know if I'd want to get as drunk as that's he's planning to drink, super, drink in that place. No, no, that's super rowdy. That's too much for me. Like, no, no, I gotta I'll, have. I'll my get senses. a buzz on, but yeah, I said I'll get my buzz on. I'll flirt and things like that, but I'm not trying to black out in this place. No, I, I need you to hand me a bottle of tequila, Mister Danny Trejo. Whoopsie daisies. <laughs> yeah, but it does kick that off, right? Trejo is like, you're not welcome here. He's like, this is for bikers and truckers. Harvey Keitel pipes up. He's like, contraire, mon frere. <laughs> I am uh, technically a trucker. How to get my whatever license, drive my rig out here, this RV, and these are my friends technically. So, uh, yeah, misunderstanding. We'll have some drinks. So, okay, so it's only for truckers and bikers, especially the shot at the end shows that they definitely prey upon truckers and bikers. Is there any reason you could think of of why they would keep it only truckers and bikers to prey on? Um, it almost seems to me like a fucking family in an RV falling into your lap would just be like, cool, we got dessert tonight. Like, I know, it's like, oh, that's some different type of blood. They probably know hep C in this one. <laughs> rather than, like, get them out of here. Yeah, I mean, it's still blood. But maybe they weren't planning, maybe they only feed every now and then. Yeah, that's, they probably yeah. weren't planning on feeding that night. That's a kind of what I'm gathering several variables they weren't accounting for i don't know though man like i don't it's weird right yeah i mean they were trying to warn them like you're not welcome here trying to tell them like this is a fucking club dude you gringos not to be here <laughs> <laughs> you know what you're doing yeah i mean fair enough danny trejo warned them that's true it's true we're gonna uh, play fair right even stevens <laughs> but um, they insisted he didn't warn him about how sexy Selma Hayek was going to look. Man. I'll tell you what. I remembered two things wrong about that scene. I misremembered how good the dance was. I think in my head I substituted like a burlesque act that I had seen as like an adult or something in for that because it's not that good of a dance. No, it's just, you know, it's improv. 
that was one thing, like, I remembered it as being better than it was. I had forgotten that this was, like, 27-year-old Selma Hayek, and I forgot that she was maybe one of the most perfect women yeah, that have ever tough. lived in that moment. <laughs> they call a bad bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I remembered her as looking worse than she did yeah. when she was suddenly on my screen again, and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, hello. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. Dan's bad. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's stick your foot in Quentin's mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it silenced a lot of people in the uh, crowd. Not only the, the viewers, but the people on set. I would be willing to bet Jesus. that, like in the theater, that fucking silenced people. So I'm getting it. Not just the viewers ourselves. Like, you know, like I wish I wish I could have had a theater experience for There's that. A lot movie. of wives and probably. Mom's really mad at this scene. <laughs> it's unnecessary. <laughs> Contraire. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, you know. The part, when you get to unnecessary, is like, oh, the beer off the toes. Yeah, I'm good on that. That's some piss warm chango anyway. Like, so that's another one of those Tarantino things. You know, it's like, you know, I ain't mad at him, but it is what it is. He's trying to spell it out, people. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, another example of that. Everything seems hunky-dory right after the dance until Cheech Marin comes back in. Chet Pussy? Wait, oh, before Chet Pussy shows up, before the dance even, we get the very quick introduction to Sex Machine. Oh, yeah, we do. That's pretty good. <laughs> do you know who pulled the knife out on him? No. That was Nicotero. Oh, shit. Gregory Nicotero, yeah. Okay. So... He is in this, and Howard Berger are in a scene together. Well, not together, but he's in a scene a little bit later on mm. in the bar, in the club. Yeah, I'll point it out when we get there. But, yeah, that was uh, Mr. Nicotero that got to see the uh, cod piece. Yeah, which um, pops up in Desperado. I saw that, too. I was like, that's pretty dope. Yeah, when Cheech comes back in, he's like, yeah, those are the, uh, the guys who beat me up. And uh, shit starts to kick I off. Kicked me in the ribs when I was down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there's some non-PC stuff flying around in that little sequence too. But, you know, we don't have to say it. It's neither here nor there. But the whole point is, yeah, it leads to uh, standoffs. And those standoffs lead to some deeper shit. Mainly because uh, Tarantino's hand's been fucked up the whole time because he got shot early on. We didn't really mention that. But because he's bleeding out really bad after he got stabbed in the hand. <laughs> Like, oh, shit. Also, that's a hilarious, like, like one of the films that those guys definitely bonded over was the original Django, where he gets his hand fucked up. Uh, and so that's definitely a callback, especially because in Desperado, did it happen in El Mariachi as well? Sure. Anyway, Desperado, fucking El got shot in the hand as well, so his hands are fucked up. Because it all calls back to, like, they backs. fuck up. That's pretty cool. Because they bought, they love Django. Those motherfuckers reference Django all the time. So, oh, makes perfect sense if this is the case. Yeah. So his hand bleeding out leads to some transformations going on, <laughs> and that's when you know, oh shit, this is a vampire film. <laughs> From here on out, right? Like I said, the marketing for this movie fucking spoiled this movie, but it's still a wild twist to suddenly be like, oh, by the way, vampires. This whole place is about to get fucked up Hellraiser 3 style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, yeah, that's fucking funny. That's a funny reference. 
But that's basically what happens. It turns into a ballroom brawl with vampires fucking everybody up. A fucking hilarious ballroom brawl because they throw in some fucking just wild shit. One of the vampire dancers just keeps dancing. (laughs) There's some things I want to mention. And it's because, A, because this film is not trying to take itself too serious. We already know that, right? And because we know like they like to mix in genres like exploitation and grindhouse and things like so you have to take those kind of things with a grain of salt too when they're throwing references in and like for instance i know i'm jumping ahead but there's some shit that these vampires do later on in the film we're like what are you doing in the background right now <laughs> what are you doing some guys are just kind of like pawing i'm like yeah you gotta be busier than that you're a vampire <laughs> but anyhow do you have like Fred Williamson impaling one on every that leg of the unoverturned table. Dope. I like that one a lot. That was dope. But it's also just ridiculous. Of course it it's is. It's on that's its the whole face. Point. Absurd. And it's so good. That, that's why I loved it. I was like, oh, this is taking advantage of the whole situation. Savini. Everything Savini oh. does because he's a giant badass in this movie. Yeah, he's like fucking sidekicking <laughs> vampires in the face and shit and dodging Danny Trejo. He's like, oh. Like actually, he's, he's aware of him jumping at him. He's like, "Oh shit, let me get out the way." <laughs> here, I'm going to be a big enough badass that here throw him a fucking cue stick and then sweep still, the leg. Yeah, or what was it? He fucking whiplash. Or, yeah, it is a whipped, whiplash. I whipped guess, the leg, <laughs> came up to him, grabbed the cue back, broke it across him, and fucking stabbed him. Yeah, and then he just became a stand on the fucking pool table. <laughs> like, damn, Tom Savini, you a badass. He was getting rid of those vampires off the right, too. Yeah. I mean, kind of everybody almost turns into a badass in that scene. Yeah, the only person who didn't was uh, Satanico Pandemonium got fucking Richie, Quentin Tarantino, right off the bat. Yeah. And you're like, oh, whoopsie-daisies. Which, whatever. Don't care. Yeah, I was like, well, you know. <laughs> Sorry, you were, Quentin, but. You were a dick anyway. <laughs> yeah, your character sucks. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, you're a sex offender, and you've been. If anyone in this group deserves to die, it's this one. Yeah, exactly. So not a huge loss, you know. His character was a dick. But then, like, it's kind of surprising that you set up Santanico Pandemonium the way you do, and then you off her right off the bat, too. I know. It's crazy. Because she buys it with a decent amount of movie left. Yeah, I'm like, now what do you do after you off her? Which I did see one critique saying that, like, once she's dead, it's less of a vampire movie and more of just a zombie movie. Uh, Which it kind of is, but, like, these were never normal vampires to begin with. Maybe we should talk about these vampires for a second. Yeah, we should. We should. Because, first off, I love these vampires. All right. Let me ask you this. When you look at these particular vampires in terms of makeup effects, do they remind you of any other vampires in cinema? Because there was like a couple movies that reminded me of. I guess it depends which one you're talking about. Because there's a number of looks that are displayed. Let's say the the, the vampires later on in the film who come in as initially as bats. Those vampires. Oh. Specifically. Those ones specifically? Like Buffy? I tell you, (laughs) they reminded me of some of the look of what you would see in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of Fright Night. That's what some of the makeup effects reminded me of. I was like, oh. Some of them are a little buffy-ish. Yeah. 
like I would argue that Danny Trejo basically oh, yeah, just yeah, gets yeah. That like makeup and he stuff. basically just yeah. gets like the angel. I totally agree with that. Job. Yeah. That is more reminiscent of that style of vampire. God, Santanico and her little like reptilian. like almost like reptilian reminded oh. me not as much of a reptilian but of maybe some of like the different sci-fi monsters we've seen and stuff. Solid point. It kind of reminded me of one from Doctor Who, but I'm I'm blanking on exactly what I'm trying to like throw down as that <laughs> idea, but yeah. it didn't remind uh, yeah. you know what I mean? It reminded me more of like not a vampire to be honest. It kind of I got the point though. It makes sense thinking about the faculty a lot of it too. Now it's like, oh, that's more like a creature feature style kind of thing, more mm-hmm. so than a vampire per se. These vampires being the way they are came back around years and years later for me because I fucking ended up falling in love with the Dresden Files novels. Dresden Files are about this wizard that works in Chicago. He's like the only openly practicing wizard in the world, but there's, you know, an undercurrent of magical and mythological and folklore baddies and creatures and things that exist in the world as well. And he kind of just tries to protect Chicago because it's his city, but (laughs) he also makes a lot of enemies. Anyway, the point I'm trying to get to is in the Dresden Files, Almost anything you can think of, like mythological, folklore, or even like classic literature, tends to exist in some form. Sometimes it's a little bit twisted off of what you would normally think of, but it's usually recognizable. Because there's so many different types of vampire in literature, in the Dresden Files, there's three main courts of vampires. There's at least one other court that exists, uh, the Jade Court, which is Gyeongsi's. Oh, oh, dope. But they've only been mentioned in one of the books so far. Gotcha. But one of the main courts is the Red Court, and they are Dust to Dawn vampires. Oh, that's dope. And they're all based out of Central and South America. Okay. They're a little bit different. Like, a lot of these vampires, their features just kind of morph into those, like, more bestial form. In the books, they end up looking like the really heavily bat-looking ones. Okay. But the difference is, is... Their features don't morph into that. They're wearing, like, a human skin suit that they rip out of. Shit. (laughs) Okay. But it's from Dust Till Dawn Vampires. And, like, there's even Uh, a big bit later on involving, like, an Aztec temple and shit. Like, that's dope. The whole concept is directly from these types of vampires. Yeah. That's something I did, like, even though that's jumping way towards the end, even though you've talked about it or just alluded to it, was the whole built on an Aztec pyramid you were like oh damn there's levels of this shit yeah <laughs> like, that's one of the oh. coolest things about this movie is how it opens up the possibilities at the yeah, end like there. we're just seeing like just surface level shit just some right now stuff I mean, you could argue way, even we're seeing the dregs that's if it. all they're operating is this fucking shitty almost like trucker yeah. biker bar maybe like ants and bee references like the drones mm-hmm. that's all we're seeing is just drones right now shit because I was thinking, all right, they kind of set up Santanico Pandemonium as kind of like the queen of sorts. But once she goes, not every one of those vampires goes, if you no. follow like the vampire kind of right. logic. Like, she dies, but she's the one a bit Tarantino, but he still turns. So. Yeah, these ones are a little bit more just straight ahead beast, Joel. Exactly. So you, you can't really follow that logic. A little bit of that sort of weird stuff work, because like the crosses still work. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> There's Which, something that 
that somebody says Savini. Like, uh, yeah, dude, this is so funny. Like, it, work, it works for Peter Cushing all the time. When he said that shit, I was like, man, if you don't know that reference, because we just fucking got into talking about Peter Cushing. But I was like, that is so fucking funny for this film, because that's what they resort to a little bit. And look, we're jumping all around this last section, yeah, but, but I fucking love Kaitel with the fucking shotgun cross. <laughs> like, it's absurd as this movie is. It makes total sense in this film's universe. Mm -hmm. I mean, like they were saying, it's like, I don't believe in vampires, but I believe what my eyes see, apparently. And these are vampires. <laughs> don't tell me you don't believe in vampires, because I don't believe in vampires. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what do you call these? You know? Uh, hello. <laughs> you know? So we're playing in that realm. So you just got to go with it. Oh, and just to finish it off real quick, because I was talking about it, the other two main courts in the Dresden Files, they have the White Court, which are all psychic vampires okay. and feed off emotions. Oh, shit. That's funny. And <laughs> then there's the Black Court, which is, like, classic Dracula-type vampires. Okay. And in-universe, <laughs> it's actually referenced that the White Court had Bram Stoker write Dracula to basically give a how-to kill a black court vampire novel to humans to help try to wipe them out so that they could gain more power. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so we can drain and <laughs> get rid of this whole section of these vampires we don't like. Yeah, but that means that the ones that are still alive are, like, scary fucking powerful. Oh, I'd imagine. Get also... I'm going to recommend the fucking Dresden Files books to anyone out there listening. That's pretty dope. There's man. a lot of good horror or fucked up reference, like shit brought into it. Like, I like that. fighting vampires is a huge bit of those books. It's just that just as much of those books involve going into like the realm of fairy and That's like fighting awesome. alongside trolls and shit. Yeah. Mix it up. Make it interesting. Keep you intrigued. I like all that. Santa Claus has shown up. Hell He's yeah. fought alongside Santa Claus and fucked up some creatures. I mean, we've had the fortune of talking about mm -hmm. different types of Santa Clauses. That's true. That's true. So there's that as well. But, yeah. So it was kind of neat that, like, as a kid, I saw this movie. Rolls back around, like, as a young adult getting into this book series and being like, oh, shit, the Red Core vampires are from Dust Till Dawn vampires? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, That's awesome, man. Oh, I like all of that. I think that's awesome. Oh, <laughs> All right, so after Santana Copandemonium, he has her moment with George Clooney, right? She's mm, mm -hmm. essentially telling him that he's going to be her slave uh, until he shoots out that chandelier and ends her. And then it turns into a four-on-four -four matchup because it's like Frost and Sex Machine, Seth, who's George Clooney, and Harvey Keitel's Jacob. I guess those four female vampires. <laughs> it's like it's starting to turn a little bit into some Sam Raimi shit, too. Yeah. A little yeah. Peter Jackson thrown in. Dude, I like the lead up to it. It's great. But like the fucking up the big guy at the end and ripping out the heart. And then <laughs> he's still alive down on the ground and then penciling it. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's one of my favorite things in the world. It's so funny, man. I actually thought of Shaun of the Dead mm. when Harvey Keitel and George Clooney are beating the shit out of that dude with oh, the cue yeah, sticks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it feels so much like Shaun of the Dead right now. I didn't actually remember that he penciled the heart, but when he ripped it out and the dude was still alive, I was just like, I hope they grab just something small and stupid, like a little splinter. And then there's the pencil. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Thank like, you. cause you know, what's about to happen. And it's, it's funny. It's just it like, still works. 
you know what's coming and it still works. Even, yeah, even when Frost rips out the heart, like that's badass, but it still didn't stop him. So <laughs> the pencil did. <laughs> it's silly, but it's it's effective. It's funny. Even the four and four matchup with the female vampires is over the top silly. You know, I put a uh, right after this. Seth stakes Richie because Richie comes back, mm, mm-hmm. you know, and he finally is like, all right, hold him down. And he stakes him. Not too long after this, they decide to just go ahead and start staking the rest of everybody who's still around, I suppose, who hasn't been staked already. And that leads to Sex Machine eventually getting bitten. And this is where another guy I was mentioning, part of the effects team, shows up. Oh, shit. Really? The guy who he... bites him is Howard Berger. Okay. This is one of those fucking zombie movie moments, though. It is. And I was practically yelling at my screen, like, come on, Tom, don't be this fucking guy. All right, I will say this because I know there's some references. We've already alluded to it with George Romero because Tom Savini. Mm -hmm. A little bit of this does feel like some Dawn of the Dead stuff, man. Yep. I mean, think about it. They're trapped inside with the undead. Mm -hmm. And one of them gets bitten and tries to hide it. Until it gets turned. <laughs> I was like, man, I love you, Sex Machine. Don't be this guy. Yeah, Don't be the guy he that just, hides he it. He slipped up one time. That's all it took. Because Juliette Lewis was having trouble until the guy turned. And then they... So that's all it took. So they end up having that discussion we were having about, like, I don't believe in vampires, but what, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And they're talking about the differences. Oh, they're super strong. Uh-huh. Tom Savini brings up that you could probably punch one's head off. He said they're soft. Then Fred Williamson goes on his fucking nom rant. That shit was actually really funny. And <laughs> first up, part of that where you like, did this motherfucker go ravenous? It kind of did, man. He went. I'm like, is he about to reveal that he's actually a Wendigo up in this? Hey, bitch? He went berserker. <laughs> but by the end of his story, he had. I'm not gonna put it the same way he did, but blood and gore up to. Oh. His, up through his fucking gun, yeah. just covered, right? And gore and blood, like you were saying. So after Savini turns and then turns him, Savini gets his head knocked off. Yep. And Fred Williamson gets the fucking gun the shoved gun. through him. That's so So funny. that there's blood and gore up to there on the gun. Yeah. I mean, if it's exactly what he's saying. So not exactly what he well, was not, saying. But. No, but <laughs> it came back on him, mm-hmm. you know? What he was referencing in that story happened not in the same terms, but you know what I'm getting at. I did like that moment, though, when he got the shotgun pump. I was like, that is some Evil Dead stuff. That's Evil Dead shit all over, dude. I was like, I love it, man. It feels just like that. It feels right at home. It's good. I like all of that shit, man. So, Oh, so the Savini rat, like the way he fucking that was mutates up out of the body... In the Dresden, that's kind of like what I mean by like they always rip out of those skin suits when okay. they like go full vamp. Yeah, that's whew, that'd be terrifying to see that shit. <laughs> except instead of looking like a rat, they look like a kind of like that, except a bat. Yeah, I gotcha. Like, but still, it's like the fuck, dude. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, let's see. One sex machine turns, you you want to bite Frost. That's kind of funny because you see the his fingers come up behind him. Yeah, that shit's so funny. Because everyone can see me doing this. But. Yeah, yeah, exactly, but you're doing the spider fingers. <laughs> but he gets them. I was like, that's fucked up. That's funny. That leads to Thomas getting flung through the goddamn doors that they were barricading and lets in all those bats that were flying outside. And that's when you know, like, oh, shit. 
Shit's about to kick loose. And it causes separation. Was it cloning the kids wind up going to the green room? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, yeah, you know what I mean? They go all the way in the back of the club, and Kaitel gets stuck in around the bar top, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's already been established that, who is it? They need Harvey Keitel's faith if they right. want to survive. So, oh, because he makes his way back to Yeah, because he fashions the shotgun and the baseball bat cross, fends them off. I'm like, these fucking vampires right now, man. But he makes it back inside with George Clooney. He's like, they only have so much time. They find some loot so they can use it. They're one last little standoff. And I was like, this is kind of a fucked up moment. What Harvey Keitel puts on these kids. Yeah. <laughs> I do love the count of five than the count of three, though. I mean, it's dark comedy is what it is. Yeah. It's really, really dark comedy. I'm already dead. I'm just here so we can try to get out of here. And he's still threatening them with, like, he's like, it's not suicide. I'm already dead. <laughs> so technically, I'm not really going to die if I shoot myself. Juliet Lewis, I'm giving you the count of five. I know. That was fucked up. She's like, all right. Damn, I'll do it. And then the kid's Other like, kid, I'll do me. it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, I'll do it. <laughs> all right, you're committed. I get you. Yeah. That's a little too much, but that was fucked up. And then they go out and do their business with those vampires. And that's where I was like, all right. You have to suspend your disbelief with these fucking vampires right now because there's several moments where they kind of got any of them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have to think about a little bit of the Jesus stuff that's in this film. <laughs> yeah, cause It's vampire lore. It that's what I'm saying. Exactly. If it were anything else and just because Jesus, just because. I just thought it was fun. Like, do you have to just continue treating like the kid as a kid and give him fucking... Oh, super soaker, super soaker, and condom balloons, yeah, holy water as his weapon in the end. Like, give him a gun. I mean, yeah, super soakers in the 90s were the shit, but <laughs> I mean, come on, dude, the kid was older than that. When they're arming up, though, another Django reference fucking Juliette Lewis pulls that crossbow as out the, of a coffin, yeah, a coffin case. Django carried a coffin around with him, and there's a big turning point in that movie where he pulls out a fucking minigun. Or not a minigun, you know, a Gatling gun. Right, but you're like, oh, damn. (laughs) Which then, if you've seen Desperado, it's Django that was the inspiration for the fucking guitar case full of guns. That's awesome, man. It makes sense, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Dude, there you go. I like it. Like I I said, those motherfuckers love that movie, so. (laughs) Every chance, we're going to drop it. Yeah. Up to us to pick it up. So I like it, man. Makes sense. Yeah, that's a badass, man. If you're going to have a weapon, that's not a bad one to have. Mm -hmm. You know, hers, I like hers a lot. George Clooney makes that fucking steak drill. Yeah, you know, it's ludicrous. (laughs) Like, I want to like it so much more than I end up liking it. Yeah. Just because of how it actually looks (laughs) when you see it working. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. But that being said the special effects they use around it are good whenever he does shove it oh, into a fucking vampire his chest and shit. I seen the on set what it looked like when they were filming it. Nah. Silly as fuck. Because it's just him running around just holding it and then the actors just kind of like oh, shaking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then they're adding, I guess, or assuming they're adding things in post. Mm-hmm. But I thought it's like, that is silly. I want to like it so much. Yeah. It's so ludicrous, but watching it i'm just like i can't get behind this jackhammer bro who's it uh, he's like that's a no for me dog <laughs> yeah <laughs> give me the fucking 
the Harvey Keitel goddamn cross shotgun yeah, all I'm cool day with that. long. I'm cool with that. I was like, you do better than fucking James Woods and vampires with that bitch. That's true. He was kind of doing better. They were all kind of doing better. Yeah, collectively. There was only, what, five of them? Yeah. And it got whittled down eventually. Still, not bad. Not bad at all. No, uh-uh. So, all right, we, I know we're getting close, right? We're getting close to the end here. So once they get out, fighting off the vampires, unfortunately, because our guy's already been turned, the right, vampires are going to bite that, him at some that's point. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Kaitel has already been turned. He's already told the kids, you know, if I turn, you need to kill me. All right, the point being is, is the vampires start to recognize that he's one of them. And we should, too. That was a cool little moment. We should, too, because of his head tilt. That was mm. That should have been a sign. But he winds up getting his kid, Scott, that is. That was a surprising moment. I, like, I forgot oh, that he bit it. Shit, I do remember the kid getting bit. I do remember all that. I didn't remember him getting bit. For some reason, I thought, like, him and Juliette Lewis make it out both. But, yeah. Because yeah. I thought it was going to end up being them mirroring, like, the fact that the Gecko Brothers came into it. You know what I mean? But That would make sense. Yeah. They didn't, nope. they didn't go down that road. No. So <laughs> the kid, Scott, that is... He smashes one of those condoms over his dad's face, and then he winds up shooting his face off. That was also some really good fucking effects, dude. I liked it. I liked it. Like, the, all right, man. Since we're There's on this, some really good fucking effects in this movie. There was one effect that was you have really, K&B working on it and Tom Savini on set. There was one. I might be reading into this way too much. I was like, all right, this is Miramax, so maybe it's not out of the realm. <laughs> There's a scene where Juliette Lewis is behind the bar. And Cheech Marin finds her, mm. and he winds up getting fucked up and like squirts all over her. Oh yeah, it was in the first attack in the beginning. She's like, "People say I suck," and she th- puts the cross in his mouth. Yep, and then he's like, all over her face and stuff. I'm like, ooh. I mean, I think it was intentional because it's fucking Chet Pussy that exploded all over. I'm her just like, okay, they're taking liberties here. Maybe it's not me, Miramax, <laughs> but I, I recognize that in you. <laughs> so, yeah, there was stuff like that. But anywho, that was a good sequence with Harvey Keitel. Once he gets shot and smashed with uh, the fucking condom and all that stuff, it was pretty gnarly. I give him that. Then the kid, he starts getting attacked by the vampires. Kill me. Kill me, Kate. Do it. <laughs> like, fucking hell. All right, what's with all these vampires exploding? Yo, I don't know. That's something that was like, wow, this is crazy. Because the band exploded, the too. The band explodes. Like, all these other vampires they explode, exploding. but it's really convenient. I'm, I mean, I'm not against it, but I was like, I don't ever recall seeing vampires explode like I, this. I did love that bit earlier when they're like, aren't these motherfuckers supposed to set on fire? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they are. You called it. Like, they're trying to hold out in the last rays of light. Fucking Cheech's other character busts in. You get the That's light. That's where it felt like Fright Night to me. But also, like, this movie ends with them getting saved by a fucking a disco ball incinerating vampire. It's kind of funny. And it's I silly. love it. I love it so much. This it's is so like, good. It's so fucking silly, but it works. It's effective. We know light reflex and refracts and all that stuff. It makes sense. And they're all exploding. Like, what were they, psychos? Psychos don't explode when the sunlight hits them. He's like, I know, right? He's like, do they look like psychos? <laughs> what are you talking about? And I don't know. George Clooney's not a fucking asshole, so. Yeah, I mean, good on them for not going that route because it would have been a cliche thing to do. When she's like, "Oh, you looking for any company?" 
like, no, you need to get the fuck out of here. Here's some cash. You know, I'm sorry about your family, but it's not a bad start in Mexico. Yeah. Take some lessons. You got the cash. Get you a little place. You don't need to follow me. No, 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 no. You've already seen what happens when I take you on adventures. Mm -hmm. Your family dies. We run into vampires. That shit happens. No good. No go. And Clooney's renegotiations. Off to El Rey. Yeah. 25%. They're off to El Rey. We don't know what happens. I don't know. I haven't seen the sequel, so I don't know if there's any expo that explains what happens to her. I don't think so. Uh, Maybe. I don't think so. Maybe one day I'll get to it, but... Like I said, once they pull back, you see the mat. I mean, that's like so 90s. But you see the pyramid, and that's where it's like, ah, shit, that's pretty dope. I know that they did a From Dust Till Dawn series that I do want to watch at some point, and I don't know. I think they do get into more of, like, the vampires are somehow connected to Aztec temples and gods and sacrifices bit in the series. But, like, nobody talks about that shit, so, like, Somebody else reboot it and do something with that because that's a cool idea. Like I said, you can take that so many places. What I really find interesting about this film is if you look at like George Clooney's career and the roles he typically plays are nothing like this. I mean, even we didn't even mention like, oh, brother, where art thou and shit like that. Right. You know, but I'm just like, he was a badass in this film, man. He was really meant for that role. I mean, his tattoo and shit was a different story, but, <laughs> you know. Oof. but Dude, that tribal was painful. But I'm like, you know, it's the time period. I get it. I know what they're trying to do. They're living up to some of the cliches and stereotypes from the time period. Oh, man, no. That's some no for me, dog. Well. That's no for me. <laughs> I'm honestly wondering how well some of these, like, super trendy geometric tattoos are going to age. Some of them are still going to look good because some of them are just good fucking art. But, you know, I've seen a few that I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. I think somebody's just going to be like, oh, you got tattooed in the 2010s. Uh, not just, like, good tattoo. I'm just reading this here. It says it was George Clooney's idea for Seth to have a tattoo. Yeah, of course it was. I haven't just seen Once More Warriors mm. from 94. I'm like, yeah, that's a no for me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, you know, whatever. I still like his part in this film, like, Good character all the way through. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Quentin Tarantino plays his usual self. I'm not saying all the things that were attached to his character. I'm just saying his mannerisms, the way you could feel his fingerprints all over this. And uh, that's not a bad thing to have. It's not, man. It keeps the, the movie going until you get to the part with the reveal. And then it turns into that kind of like the Robert Rodriguez feel. It goes a lot more action. Like, oh, this is cool. It's not fun. that Tarantino doesn't do action, no. but it's, it's different. different. It is different. They both have their own signatures. But that's what I think makes this film flow and makes it fun. And then seeing some cameos, like even though John Saxon's in it barely, and same thing with Kelly Preston and a few others, it's still But cool. it's like the perfect John Saxon cameo. Like if you're oh. going to get him to cameo, then being a police chief on TV. Dude, he's made for that. We've mentioned it how many times now? How many times have we seen him play that role? Yeah. Reading this too, I saw that Quentin Tarantino pitched the idea for John Travolta to be in this, but... Mm. He didn't want to be in a vampire film, and he's like, no, I just want to focus on Pulp Fiction. But it makes sense maybe why Kelly Preston got involved with it now. Oh, yeah. The Vega brothers meet up with the Gecko brothers. That is fucking funny, dude. Yeah. There's that, at one some, point, Tarantino wanted to do a Vega brothers movie. That would have been cool. But then everybody got too old. And then... Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. if you don't do it within a certain time frame, we've talked about this too, it's like... 
you're going to miss the boat. Yeah, actually, that's the one thing that, like, I was looking at that cast list for the From Dust Till Dawn 3, Hangman's Daughter, right? And it makes sense that he's in it because it's supposed to be a prequel, uh, but Danny Trejo's in it. Oh, And I'm like, mm, how many years later? Ooh, I know, right? It still that has me intrigued. And it's a prequel? <laughs> I know, it still has me intrigued, though. Because yeah. I do own, I do own, like, the trilogy. Oh, shit. Do you yeah, really? and, yeah, I do. It was just like a part of this DVD set. I think I might have got it at the pawn shop. Okay. But I've been looking it up. I'm like, well, I did find it for cheap, but I'm glad I got it. Even though the other two might not be really great, but that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. I've got it. That's all I'm saying. It's like having the, the Bon Jovi vampires. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to get at the Bon Jovi, man. <laughs> I'm not a big fan. But... Yeah, I know what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you might have that, man. Like, might have Joyride 2, 3, 4, whatever, 5. <laughs> whatever they're up to now. So, you know, you get what you get. This movie's kind of fucking great, right? I enjoy it. Anytime I get a chance to watch it, even with the silliness of it, it's still a fun watch. It really is. It makes sense a little bit, too, with this. What I'm about to say is that at this time, it was considered... To be maybe included in, in like Tales from the Crypt, mm. kind of like along with before they did Bordello of Blood, they did Demon Knight, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this would have been, I think, before Bordello of Blood, but mm. it, they didn't go that route, of course. So, but I'm like, what could have been because it kind of has a little bit of that feel too of those films. Yeah. You know, of course they went in different directions, but it had a little bit of that feel. I think I've sucked this movie off enough. I can't think of anything else to say about it. Like I said, it was cool seeing everybody in this film. Probably a lot of people we won't be talking about for quite a while, maybe minus John Saxon. But yeah. everybody else, maybe Juliette Lewis. Probably not Clooney. <laughs> Even though, like, he did start another, I think he started in horror. Like, his very no. first film was a horror film, which a lot of people do start off in that realm. But Kaitel, yeah, I don't know, Trejo maybe. Yeah, trail maybe. Possibly possibly Marin, but I doubt it. Probably not Tito and Tarantula. Yeah. Not John Hawks. Not Kelly Preston. Perhaps Michael Parks in some capacity. Maybe. Anyway. Yeah, I know I've just kinda of like, uh no, but besides the point, like uh it's fun to talk about these people. It it is a fun film. It's another fun reason to talk about Bob Rod and all the people associated with the project. It's a trip of a movie. It is. It's There's... a lot of fun. It's a party film. Yeah, it there's no way to truly guess that you're going to end up where you get to by the end of this movie from the beginning of this yeah, movie. Yeah, especially if you've never seen it before. It's like, <laughs> what? But it's not It's not a bad what. It's like, oh, shit, okay. Different yeah, direction. Okay, okay, the curveball. This is what we're doing now. Gotcha. All right, cool. I'm on board. I don't believe in vampires either, but there they are. <laughs> what do you do? Did we figure out next week? I don't think we did. did I don't we? think so. I don't think so. So, yeah, I guess we'll figure that out, eh? Yeah, yeah, I think we'll go do that. But for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, 
or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Uh, scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top, as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.